Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. Jesus forgave us of all sin, past, present, and even future sin. Andrew brought good news to me. I could understand the Bible more the way he taught it. Jesus forgave you one time, and that's for everything. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Tuesday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today is uh, into my fourth week of teaching on this subject of living in the balance of grace and faith, and this coming Friday is going to be the end of this teaching. And so I encourage you to please go to the effort today of either calling or writing and requesting these materials. You can also go on our website, and we have all of these resources there available to you. But this teaching has totally revolutionized my life. I've already spent a lot of time talking about different aspects of grace and faith. Grace is God's part. Faith is our part. And I've already covered a lot. There's no way to go back and summarize it. But this week, starting yesterday, I just started talking about what to me is probably the greatest benefit of understanding God's grace and my faith response to it is just that my relationship with God is based on an unconditional love. You know, that's easy to say, but that is a huge truth right there, that God's love for me is unconditional. It's not based on my performance. And I tell you, this has given me so much peace. This has made a huge difference in my life. And the moment you start talking this way, I'm going to get into some other things, but let me just say this, because I know that there's going to be criticism and people will say, so you're just encouraging people to go live in sin. It has done the exact opposite with me. To find someone who loves me unconditionally and that is not imputing my sin unto me and that just loves me because they choose to love me, not because I deserve it and I have to live up to some standard in order to qualify. Man, that kind of love has so touched me, so changed my heart that I give everything I've got to the Lord. I seek God not because I have to, but because I want to. And I really believe that love is a stronger motivation for serving God than fear. Now, I believe that fear is how some people are drawn to the Lord. In my own case, when I first got born again as an eight-year-old, the thing that got my attention was that I was in a Baptist church and my pastor, Fred Harris at that time, matter of fact, Fred Harris, he's now in his uh, 90s, I believe it is, either late 80s or 90s, and Fred watches me on television every day now. And man, praise God, we've had a great relationship, but it's just a blessing to have it restored. But he preached a message on a tour of hell. I still remember. And one of the things that shocked me was not only were the God-haters and the Hitlers and the people like that were there, but good people were there. People who had lived a holy life but their problem was they didn't trust in a Savior. They were trusting that their good would somehow or another outweigh their bad. And when he preached that message, I remember it got my attention. And I didn't respond during the church service, but when we went home after church that day, I asked my dad, I said, what is this? Are you saying that good people go to hell? And my dad sat down and explained the gospel to me that it's not based on your performance. You have to have a Savior. And Jesus died and paid for our sins. And if I'd put faith in what Jesus did for me, 
I would be going to heaven and I would miss hell, not because uh, of my goodness, but because of my acceptance of a Savior. And I got born again in my bedroom with my dad praying for me at eight years old. But my point in saying all that is to say that it was the fear that, man, I could go to hell. That's what got my attention. And that's what kind of, in a sense, drove me to God and cried out for salvation because as an eight-year-old, I didn't want to go to hell. So it got my attention. But as it says over here in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You know, fear may drive a person to the Lord and show them their need for God. But once you come to that revelation that God loved you so much that He sent His Son into the world and He died for you and He took your sins, fear may have driven you there, but love is what should make your life with the Lord continue on. It ought to be based on the unconditional love and grace of God. And yet, sad to say, there are a lot of Christians who are serving God out of fear that He's going to punish them, that He's going to judge them. He won't answer their prayer. There are some Christians that believe every time they sin, they lose their salvation and that they would go to hell if they have a single unconfessed sin in their life. I tell you, that is just totally unacceptable. You cannot live that way. If a person really sat down and thought about what they're saying, you know, we all sin. Sin is not only when you directly transgress a law, but the Bible says, I believe it's James 4, 17, that uh, him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And so sin isn't only when you transgress a specific commandment, but sin is when you fail to do all of the good that you should do. If you use that Bible definition of sin or the other one that says whatsoever is not of faith is sin, anytime you get into fear or unbelief, that's sin. If you use these Bible definitions of sin, every one of us sin constantly. And to think that you have to have every time that you are in fear or in unbelief confessed, every time that you fail to do everything that you should, you have to have all that confessed. That is completely uh, impossible to do. We fail and sin in ways, so many ways that we aren't even aware of all of the things that we're doing wrong. If I really believe that if a person lost their salvation every time they fell short in any area, well, then the moment you get born again, I'd just kill you. And some people think, well, that's terrible. You'd go to hell for doing that. Well, maybe I'd go to hell, but that's the only way you'd ever get to heaven. If, you, if it was dependent upon you having every sin confessed, you cannot live that way. And that takes away all peace. You know, I used this verse earlier last week, I believe it was, in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. The only way you can ever have peace is to be justified by faith, not by your performance, not by all the good things that you're doing. And so you have to understand that maybe fear drove you to God, but now that you are born again, the only way you're ever going to have peace is to relate to God by grace through faith and not based on your performance. And if you are still living in fear, then fear has torment is what this verse says. And you know, this is really descriptive. 
of many Christians' life with the Lord, that they are just tormented. They believe if they die, they would go to heaven. But in this life, they just constantly live with a sin consciousness, feeling like, oh God, I'm not the person I should be. And they constantly are, they won't let God bless them. You know, I think it's Psalms chapter 35 says, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God is pleased to bless us and prosper us, but we have to let him do that. Our unbelief stops God's goodness in our life. Our sense of unworthiness stops God's goodness. But if you understood what I've been trying to say about grace is how God moves and faith is how we receive it, God doesn't give you what you deserve. He's wanting to bless you. He's wanting to to release His goodness in your life. He is pleased to prosper you by grace, not through effort. And yet our own sin consciousness keeps God's, it keeps God at arm's length. You know, one of the things that people ask me often, I mean, I've had this happen in just the last week or so. I've had students come up and say that I pray for other people and I see them instantly healed and I see miracles happen. But when it comes to me praying for myself, I don't see the same results. And there's multiple reasons for that. But one of them, and what I told this person just last week is, I said part of it is that, you know, you're more merciful to other people than you are to yourself. You could see a person that has problems in their life. And yet, because you know that God loves people, you will extend mercy and grace towards other people. But you're hard on yourself. You know more of your sin and of your failures than you do anybody else. You will give grace to other people, but you give law to yourself and you are hard on yourself. I've had to deal with that myself. A lot of people do. And, and we just stop the goodness of God from operating in our life because we are thinking that it's conditional. I have to be good enough and I'm not worthy. God, I don't deserve this. The truth is God doesn't give anybody what they deserve. God doesn't have anybody qualified to give a miracle to. You have to receive it by grace. And this verse says that God's kind of love, perfect kind of love, will cast out fear. That fear has torment. If you are fearing, then you haven't been made perfect in love. And yet there are many Christians. I would say most Christians. Probably the majority of Christians who are watching this program right now, you have fear that God won't answer your prayers, that God won't release His goodness in your life because you know that you don't qualify. You aren't good enough. And that is totally wrong. One of the benefits of understanding that everything comes by grace and all I have to do is just in faith respond positively to it. One of the benefits of that is that I now have a rest and a peace in my relationship with God. And I am not afraid of God rejecting me. That's amazing. You know, I was telling somebody just yesterday, I was speaking in front of our Bible college. Anyway, I won't go into the whole thing, but I, was, I had a dream and the Lord showed me about a person who was very instrumental in my life. And I hadn't really recognized it because there were also some negatives. This guy was very critical of me and had done some things. And anyway, even though we still speak to each other, it's not close the way that it used to be. And I'd kind of looked at the bad and had ignored the good. But in this dream, the Lord showed me that this person and their influence in my life was very instrumental 
in me getting a revelation of prosperity. And so anyway, my point is that I was just glorying and appreciating, praising God for the impact that this had made on me. And yet not everything about this person is good. And yet I see the good. And because of it, I have nothing but good feelings about them. If they were to ask me for something, I'd help them. I'd do anything. Now, if I, as a physical man who is, you know, fallen and I'm not perfect and I haven't arrived, I still have frailties. If I can look past a person's bad points and see these good things and see the good benefit that they've done in my life, man, don't you think that God Almighty can at least do that? But actually, religion has taught us that God is this nitpicking, critical person that, boy, you've got to do everything just right. You could do 99 things right and one thing wrong, and the average Christian is absolutely convinced that God would just nail you over that one thing. And until you get everything right, God's not going to answer your prayers. It's not like that at all. The grace of God has caused me to just relax in my relationship with God and understand that God, you have blessed me. You know, on my programs last week, I was sharing about how when I first got started in ministry, I was mistaken and thinking that if you were called to the ministry, it was sin to go work a secular job. And because of it, I, I went through poverty. I put Jamie through hurt and poverty and lack and need that was terrible. I was actually talking to a group of pastors one time and they were talking about how they committed adultery on their wife, how that they had done this and that. And I mean, these terrible, terrible things. And when it got around to me, I talked about, man, how through my ignorance and refusing to go work a secular job that Jamie was eight months pregnant and went two weeks with no food, eight months pregnant. And I was sharing some of the things that we had gone through and these people who had committed adultery on their life, uh, wife and had lied and there had been terrible strife and division and stuff among them. I had one of these guys look at me and he says, my God, what you did to your wife is worse than the adultery that I committed on my wife. I mean, it was terrible. I, I was wrong and it caused suffering. And yet, did you know that God loved me through that? And in spite of what I did, God preserved us. We survived. And I could go through and just show you a lot of things that I've done. I guess through ignorance. It's never been just total rebellion. It's not like I've turned on God, but I have done a lot of stupid, stupid, dumb things that have hindered the ministry, that have hurt me, have hurt my family. And you know what? God still loves me and God still uses me. And because of that, it has just given me a security to understand that God doesn't use me because I deserve to be used. He uses me in spite of it. Not because of who I am, but in spite of who I am. I've often said if I was God, I wouldn't have chosen me. I'm aware of all of my failures, and yet I am absolutely 100% convinced that God loves me and that He's going to continue to love me. Whether I mess up, whether I am still doing something stupid and don't even realize it, God loves me, and instead of that emboldening me to just go live in sin and not seek God, man, it makes me appreciate what He's done for me so much that, man, I seek Him with my whole heart. I'm, I'm searching, and if I do realize that I'm doing something wrong and I've made major mistakes, I know that God's not going to leave me because of it. Man, that's awesome.
That is so simple, what I'm saying. And yet the average Christian doesn't live with that kind of security. Man, they live on pins and needles, just, you know, wondering, have I done everything right? Am I doing all of these things right? You know, if, we, if you could just reduce this to like a physical relationship between me and you, and if we were friends, and if I was the kind of person that I was just constantly examining you, and you could do nine things out of ten right, and yet I'd always criticize the one thing that was wrong, I'm going to always be pointing out what needs to be done, never complimenting you on what has been done, but just talking about what you still need to do. Many of you know people that are like that, and they're just super critical. And you know what? It's hard to be friends with a person like that. Somebody that just constantly brings up all of your failures and is demanding perfection, a perfectionist. Some of you were raised in a home where that was so, and they were just demanded this perfection of you, and it drives you the other direction. Well, in a sense, this is what religion has taught us about God, and because of it, Instead of being their perfect love that cast out fear, most people are fearful of God and fearful that they aren't doing enough and that God's going to reject them. And it has torment. And this is why most people don't enjoy their relationship with God. Not because God is actually that way, but it's your concept. You are transposing these biases and stuff onto God and you won't let God love you. Let God be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. Here in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 10, it says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation. That means the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, love isn't based on our love for Him. It's His love for us. We love Him because He first loved us. He doesn't love us because we first loved Him. Love, if you could understand all of this, it's all of the grace of God. God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Man, there's just a bunch of scriptures right here in 1 John chapter 4 that talks about God's unconditional kind of love. But God is love, and God just chose to love us, not because there was anything lovely, but just because we were so desperately in need of His love. And so God loved us and commended His love toward us in that while we were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. And now much more, even though we still aren't perfect, even though I'm still not the perfect person, God loved me enough to die for me when I was yet a sinner. Much more does He love me now. God's love for me is unconditional. There's nothing I can do to deserve it more. There's nothing I can do that will cause me to deserve it less. God's love for me and you is not based on any worthiness, any deserving on our part. It's just God is love. And God loves you, period. There's nothing you can do about it. Man, that is awesome. That is awesome. Now, there are things that you can do that will make you realize His love for you more. There are things you can do that will stop His love and the things that His love wants to produce in your life from manifesting. There's a lot of things you can do that'll clog up the flow of God's blessings and pipe towards you, but it's not because God quits giving. God never turns His back on you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Regardless of what you have done, are doing, will do, God loves you unconditionally. And nothing you can do affects that. But 
it affects the, the things that you do affects whether you receive God's love. If you never get into the Word of God, if you don't study the Word of God, I can guarantee you the world isn't going to be preaching an unconditional love to you and you will just by uh, default think that God loves you the way everybody else loves you. When you do good, people love you. When you do bad, people reject you and you will just suppose that that's the way that God is unless you get into the Word of God and really study it and renew your mind. So yes, you need to be in the Word of God and being in the Word of God will make you more aware of God's love and it will make you walk in it more and it is very beneficial to you. You need to be studying the Word and meditating in it day and night, but not in order to get God to love you, but rather to get you to understand and receive the love of God. You need to hang around God's people, people that have a revelation of the love and the grace of God because they will minister to you and, and establish relationship with you totally different than people that don't know God. People that don't know God will love you and treat you good when you are doing what they want you to do. But you mess up and boy, they'll turn on you in a heartbeat. You need to be in church. You need to be around godly people that will give you a grace-oriented love. And so there's things that you need to do, but it, your actions don't change God's love towards you. Here's another way of saying it, that your holiness or your actions don't affect God's love for you, but it will affect your love for God. If you're out living in sin, Satan is going to blind you. He's going to put deception into your heart. He will steal from you. He'll kill. He'll rob it is not good. You are not going to prosper if you live in sin, but not because God has rejected you and turned away from you. If you've made Jesus your Lord, and if you're born again, you're saved, and there's nothing that you can do about it. But you can certainly make your life miserable because you're going to be blinded to the love of God. You won't enjoy the benefits. You won't have the joy and the peace of it. You won't have the confidence that comes from understanding that God loves you unconditionally. You will suffer. I am not saying that because of God's grace that we're just free to go live in sin. I'm saying that if you live in sin, it's not going to change God's grace because it's grace. But boy, if you yield yourself to sin, Satan is going to destroy you. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you yield to sin, you yield yourself to the author of that sin, Satan, and he's going to come steal, kill, and destroy, and you are going to suffer. You won't have the joy, the peace, and all of these things. You'll have them in your spirit, but it won't be flowing through you. You won't be enjoying them. I'm telling you, we need to live a holy life, but holiness doesn't change God's attitude towards us. It changes our attitude towards God. That's a huge difference right there. Welcome to the AWM Minute, a small glimpse on how your partnership with Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College is transforming lives around the world. When Andrew's teachings of God's unconditional love and grace broke the legalism in Mike and Pat's life, they knew their lives would never be the same again. To further grow in this revelation of God's love, the Heisers attended Karis Bible College, where the Holy Spirit began calling them to the heart of Africa. When we got a hold of this message, we realized we had a message now to tell, but we never could have done that if we had not known the authority of the believer. If we had not known that God loved us 
If we had not known that he qualifies us, we don't qualify ourselves. Today, the same message that freed them from legalism is now setting lives free from AIDS, sexual slavery, and drug addictions throughout Kenya. To see Mike and Pat's full grace encounter, visit awmi.net today. I would really like to encourage you to get this teaching on living in the balance of grace and faith. I think this really just summarizes the position that God has given me in the body of Christ. It seems like you have people that are either into faith or into grace, but very seldom are the two combined, and this teaching would transform your life. I've got a book in English. I've got one in Spanish. We have a study guide here that is the same material. It's just reformatted so that you can disciple other people. You can print out the questions in here. And then we have a CD set of this exact same teaching. And then I have two different DVDs to offer you, one that was taken from our television program and the other one was taken live from one of my uh, meetings that I've held. So please listen to our announcer, respond today, and get this material on living in the balance of grace and faith. Andrew's teaching titled, Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith, is available as a live teaching on either CD or DVD, or in a DVD set as seen on TV. You can also get this teaching as a book or study guide in either English or Spanish. Or you can get the Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith package, which includes your choice of either the CD or DVD album, the book, and the study guide. This package has a catalog value of $85, but you can get it today for only $60. Also, today's individual audio CD is available for a gift of any amount when you write or call. We encourage everyone to give, but if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide today's teaching free of charge. You can order resources or become a Grace Partner through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download many free resources. Or call our helpline at 719-635-1111. If the lines are busy, remember, you can order ministry materials or become a Grace Partner 24 hours a day, seven days a week at awmi.net. If you'd like to write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. Praise the Lord, we've got a special treat coming for you. John Tesh is coming to the sanctuary in Woodland Park for a one-night concert. John and his wife Connie have become great friends of ours. He has been transformed by the Word of God. And of course, he's performed all over the world. He's very well known. And this is gonna be a one-night only concert on April the 25th at the sanctuary in Woodland Park. Join us for a great time. I'd like to give you a special invitation to join me on April the 12th and the 13th for our David musical. I tell you, this is powerful. We had one performance of it at our dedication 
back in the month of November. It was spectacular. We are going to have two performances on the 12th and then again on the 13th of April. I know that Christian and musicals don't usually go together, but this is top floor. It will minister to you and it's a great way to share the gospel with some people that might not come to something else. It's going to be at our facility in Woodland Park, Colorado, April the 12th and 13th. Check it out. The David Musical. You can go to awmi.net for more information.